Would you leave a job at the world's number one pizza oven company to go off and venture on your own? Would you do so without knowing that you'd succeed? Would you do so knowing that you have a family, a mortgage? It's tough. It's scary. It's why I haven't done it yet either. Um, but today my guest is Mike Veona from Rose Hill Sourdough. And man, this guy is just killing it as usual, per usual. You know, we talk about the highs and the lows of entrepreneurship, the highs and the lows of building a business, and how he's taken these little chess moves, right, to set himself up for a victory. Mike has an amazing story, and I think you all are going to enjoy it. You're going to enjoy listening in on all the things that he's been working on since leaving the company and all the things that are yet to come. It's an exciting future for Mike, and I hope you listen in on the journey. Oh, and by the way, there is a special giveaway for his new product, the Bread Mat. Instructions are at the very end, also in the description below. So be one of the first 10 to claim it. Oh, yeah. Um, I'll see y'all soon. Enjoy this interview. But first... I want to give a special shout out to our show sponsor, Uni. Uni is the world's number one pizza oven company for many reasons. One, they got cool people who work there, known as this. But really, number two, they make pizza accessible, affordable for everyone, right? I have made some amazing pizzas using Uni, and they have solved the problem of not having high enough heat to get your oven going to make amazing pizza. We've all been there. Pale crusts, no bueno. And so when you have uni, you have this oven that can go to 900 degrees in just 20 minutes. They're portable. You can bring them anywhere. I've had many amazing guests who have used their uni to do amazing things, from starting up their own pop-up to becoming Instagram famous. It started with a journey between them and their uni oven. So grab yours today. Use the link in the show notes and check out uni. I also want to give a special shout out to my show sponsor, Cordo Olive Oil. I literally had Cordo Olive Oil for lunch today. I saw Laura Meyer put some Calabrian chili oil on her pasta and she was like, and it just looked beautiful. It was so simple. It was delicious. And so for me today for lunch, I put some noodles, some pasta, some spaghetti noodles, drizzled some Calabrian chili oil from Cordo. Pecorino Romano and some pepper. Oh, it was so simple and so good. I'm going to have a post on it soon, but really, if you want to elevate your olive oil game, if you want to use the stuff that the pros are using, if you want to just make your food taste better, because trust me, the commodity olive oil that you're using, yeah, yeah. I'm telling you right now, do the taste test. If you're not using Cordo and you're using this oil that's picked not at its peak. It's gross. Trust, trust, trust. Check out Cordo if you are a pizzeria. There's a link for you to get a free taste testing so you can discover the difference. And if you're a home pizza maker, it's cool. Do the taste testing yourself. You pay a nominal fee, but trust me, it's worth it. Your your life is just going to change. Welcome back, everyone. I am with an amazing guest, Mike Veona from Rose Hill Sourdough. What's good? What up? Hey, I drift. Nice to see you. Nice to see you too, brother. You've been on the show 
you know what I'm about to ask. Yes. Let me hear your answer. What's good dough? The bread mask good dough. You know what's funny is like I didn't want this to be like, oh yeah, I'm going on a media tour to like promote a new product. I just wanted to like chat with you. It just so happens that like just launched this today or yes, last night. And then two seconds ago, I was like, oh dang it. I forgot to come up with an answer to what's good though. <laughs> so no, but dude, it's this this community that we found ourselves in is so supportive. And it's just been so cool. Like I don't humbling. I don't really like when people say like, Oh, I'm so humbled. But like, I do kind of feel that way. I just feel like what a cool opportunity I've gotten recently to build a product that I really care about that I've used for now a year and a half um, that I just had a hunch other people would resonate with. And, you know, I've, I've done more orders than I thought I would do in the first 20 hours. So it's just been, it's been really exciting. I've spent way too much time in front of my uh, thermal printer and my wife hates the sound of it. But other than like the in the background, every like 15 seconds, <laughs> um, it's been really good. And my multiple trips to the post office to like send more. Um, it's just been crazy. I just, I didn't expect it. I was hoping you would do well. Of course, you know, you hope it does well, but, um, it's done better than I thought. And I'm really excited about that. I'm just excited for people to get them in their hands. So yeah, that's, what's good though. Uh, when you build a product that you love and can stand behind fully support it, and then you do it because you think it's going to serve somebody that you've built a connection with and a relationship. Like I can tell the confidence in you, uh, the way you've just launched this thing. Um, I'm super happy for you, man. That's Thanks, what's good. Man. though. I appreciate you. I appreciate you rocking the shirt too. When you came Hell on with yeah. that on, I was like, yeah, what up? R Rose Hill sourdough shirts available now. Uh, <laughs> just to keep everyone up in the loop. This is Mike Viona's first physical product. That's right. <laughs> Let's that's get right. all the plugs out of the way. <laughs> get his Ser books. <laughs> Seriously. I got you. Yeah. I got books available. All right, cool. Thanks. I drift. It was a good interview, bro. I'll see you. <laughs> Peace. <laughs> I, I have you on all the time, not because you sell a bunch of books and not because you have a new product, but really I enjoy talking to you. I enjoy learning from you. I enjoy hearing your story and you have recently embarked on a new journey. Um, I think the last time we talked, we got into some of the nerdy stuff. The last time we talked on the podcast, at least mm -hmm. we got into some of the sourdough fermentation stuff. You were helping me out with my dough, but we didn't really get too much into what's been going on with your life and to fill everyone in. You are no longer with Uni. I, that's true. Hard enough to say. It took me a long time to be able to actually say that out loud. <laughs> oh, oh, sorry. Um, I broke the announcement <laughs> no, on no, the no, podcast. No. People know. People know. Okay. People know. Yeah. So um, I, w I worked at Uni for the last three years. I was the head of engineering and technology. Um, and I lived in Scotland. I moved my family over there. And uh, we were on a three-year visa. The end of that visa was coming and we, you know, made the really hard decision to move back to the U.S. And, you know, Uni had grown so much when I was there. There was a lot of good reasons to stay and there was a lot of good reasons to leave. Um, and in the end, we just decided, you know, I get to I get to spend a lot more time with my daughter and my wife now Um because I decided to do Rose Hill full time and just, I get to work from home and we homeschool my daughter. So like I get to just be with her all the time. 
I had a phone call with my buddy David yesterday. We have a weekly phone call. He's got a really long commute on Thursdays. So we have like an hour, sometimes like a two hour phone call. And we get like really nerdy and philosophical. But yesterday he was like just having a hard day at work. And he was just saying like, man, like you choose one person, like you choose your spouse to like spend the rest of your life with. I don't choose my coworkers, but I spend more time with my coworkers than I do with my spouse. And I chose her and I didn't choose these people. And, um, I've been trying to kind of quietly trying to hint that he should move on and like, and do something else. So I was like, I was like, yeah, man, like that's the, really the reason we left, you know, a lot of people asked, like, especially I got back, I had some health concerns and I was like, man, free healthcare in the UK was so nice. And I'm like navigating all this stuff. People are like, why'd you leave? And I had a hard time answering that question for a while. Why'd you leave? And uh, it all comes back to like family and just like being able to be with my daughter and be with my wife and try to build something. Cause I felt like I would always regret it if I never gave Rose Hill my full attention, stop being a side hustle, give my full attention, my full effort and see what this thing can become. So yeah, no longer with Uni left on amazing terms. I literally had breakfast with Christian Dorita like a week and a half ago because they happened to be in the area. Um, and they called me and they're like, hey, we're in town. You want to grab breakfast? I was like, I'll be there. So no, great terms. They're great people. I'm doing some content for them shortly uh, and just working with them um, and still love my uni and miss terribly all the people there. Still chat with them. Um, but no, sadly, I am no longer the head of engineering technology at uni. Um, now I'm some guy that tries to get people to buy baking products on the internet. <laughs> Oh man, don't undersell yourself because these products are amazing and we're going to get into them. But just to comment on your story, this whole leaving the job thing, as you know, is something that I've been trying to do. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I think for me, I just don't have the courage. So what did you have to do to dig deep enough? Like, I know you mentioned family was a huge motivator, mm. but what did you use to combat the fact that you weren't going to get health insurance anymore? Tell me a little bit more about your justifications. I've got, I've got a great spouse. Uh, my wife is amazing and I've got good friends. Well, I, sh I shouldn't say great spouse. I think good friends. I've got great friends too. <laughs> I've got okay friends. Um, no, but it was a lot of encouragement from all sides, like trying to look at the big picture of Rose Hill. Re I ran a lot of tests on Rose Hill, um, effort in money out and, periods of time where I wouldn't post periods of time where I would periods of time where I'd be more active in certain parts of the community than others and really tried to prove out the correlation of effort and income. Cause that was the big thing for me. It was like, I'm going to be losing an income. I'm the, you know, primary breadwinner for the family. I'm the one with the health insurance. What happens if we leave this? What do we have to do? So my wife and I are very, like both very budget conscious. So we went in and like did all the budgets, looked at all the expenses, how much money does Rosal need to make? Um, can it make that much? And we just decided, yeah, we think we can do this. Let's jump in. We saved for a long time, um, and made sure we had a really good, you know, emergency fund put in place. Um, we, when we moved back, we were able to buy a house. So like, you know, we had to make sure that the money was there for mortgage payments and for utilities and, you know, all that. Um, and it was just trying to kind of like figure out all of those things. Then once we were like, yeah, like I've had good months when I've really put in the time and I've almost made what I need to make to make this happen. 
like, let's try it. And so it took a little bit of faith. I think the best thing was in the end, what really happened was my wife ended up being able to take on a lot more work when we got back. So she's an attorney. She works remotely um, in like a really terrible part of the law. Um, but basically she writes appeals. And so she she's able to work remotely. When we were in the UK, she was able to work that role, um, but on a limited basis. And we didn't know if it was going to pick up when we got back to the US. Fingers crossed it did, but we didn't know. And then when we got back, sure enough, it did start to pick up. So we had this nice like realization like, okay, we don't need to put all the pressure on Rose Hill. Sarah's income can sustain us. We can pay the bills on that. And then we can be a little bit more strategic about our spending with Rose Hill. So that was able, like we were able to turn that money into stock um, for products and into video equipment for the studio that I'm sitting in and just like leverage that money a little bit differently than just relying on um, like book sales. We were able to say like, okay, hey, let's play this a little bit more long-term. So I cannot take any of the credit for being able to, um, you know, take Rose Hill full full time. When I was talking to my wife and like prepping for the interview, we talked about like go taking Rose Hill full time. And I was like, this is because of you, you know, like we're able to do this because, because I'm fortunate that I have an awesome spouse who has an awesome job, who's super supportive. Like not everyone has that. So I'm not going to be able to give some secret sauce answer. And she's also like, yeah, but also don't sell yourself short. Like we did the work to make sure that we could do it. Were we fortunate that my work picked up? Yeah. But we didn't wait for the work to pick up to go in. We knew that when we went in, it would work out because we were going to put the work in. So yeah. I wish I had a better answer, but I mean, that's really oh. it. Just, I knew I could put the work in and, and I would get the money out. And so for those single people who don't have a partner, go and find yourself a marinara mama or a dough daddy and try to figure out how you can live off of one income while you pursue your thing. <laughs> that's uh, you, Yeah, that's, I mean, that's absolutely true. Like there's, there's some, I got a lot of support from outside my marriage. Also, like I've got really good friends and like my business partner was always there, like reminding me, he's like, dude, it's just money. Like yeah, you just pay for health insurance here. It's not that big of a deal. And that was like always a good reminder of like, you're right. I just sign up on healthcare.gov and then I've got health insurance. Like, so it was always health insurance was the big one for me, but like, uh, it was just Same. always, it, yeah, it was, it was always this kind of back and forth of like, you know, eight, it, of is the money going to be there if we put the effort in and I had all the data to prove that it was, it mm -hmm. was just like actually taking the leap of faith and saying, we're going to do this thing. And, um, yeah, we're doing it. So here we go. Okay. Let's go. I'm going to have you choose your own adventure here. Oh, yes. Would you rather talk about like give a more concrete examples about testing to validate your idea that mm. this is good? Or do you want to talk about the difference between working on Rose Hill part-time and holding a job versus working on Rose Hill full-time? Like the difference between those two scenarios. And I, I think they're actually really well intermingled. So I started working on the bread mat while I had a full-time job. So my wife and I were watching masterclass and it was, I think it was Sarah Blakely, the founder of Spanx. And it was just like, a what's really... masterclass that? Is it the online education platform where yep. you can just, okay. Yeah. And Sarah Blakely had one on entrepreneurship and product development. Oh, cool. And she was talking about her story with Spanx. And, um, I, we were just watching it and Sarah, like just paused the masterclass and she looks at me and she was like, my wife is also Sarah, not Sarah Blakely. <laughs> um, she's like, what would you make? Like, what would you do? 
And I just looked at her point blank and I said, I would make a reusable silicone based parchment paper replacement. And she's like, okay, well, let's start doing that. And I was like, all right. And I got my phone out and I ordered a bunch of materials right then and there to start testing. And then that started like a long time of testing and refinement of the product. When was this again? On the side. That was, it would have been early 2021. So maybe January, 2021. Okay. And it's, it's 2022 December right now for anyone yeah. listening. Yeah. So, you know, next month is going to be two years since I started working on it. And it's not a super complicated thing. It's just to highlight the select your quest, like other side of it, working on it part-time, I was always stealing time from things. It was like, you know, after work, after Genevieve went to bed, it was like, okay, instead of hanging out with Sarah, I'm going to bake or work on, you know, prototypes for bread and that. On the weekends, instead of going and hanging out with Genevieve at her soccer practice, I'm going to stay home and I'm going to work on bread mat. And I was already working a lot with Uni, like, you know, it was long hours and it was just a lot of work. And I was all through COVID, our team was still going into the office. So I was still commuting in and out of the office the whole time. And so there was a lot of like Rob time, Rob family time from like working on the product. And it was just always getting dropped as a lower priority. Like, you know, you prioritize your week. Bread mat was always the lowest thing on my list. So it kept just getting pushed and pushed out, pushed out, pushed out. And my fear the whole time was like, someone's going to take this. Like this is a inspiration is hitting me right now, but it's also hitting other people. Everyone's stuck at home. They're using a bunch of parchment paper. They're realizing they have other alternatives to parchment paper. Someone else is going to start developing. And sure enough, when I was about six months into development, I start seeing like little things pop up on Amazon of like reusable bread baking stuff. And I was like, all right, like theirs are different. I have to make sure they're different enough than mine to make sure that mine's still better. But I started seeing like a couple companies pop up. And then of course you get copycats that pop up and no one was really winning, but I saw a few of them start popping up. Um, but I just kept like testing and developing eventually found a material that I was super pumped about. That was better than all the other products that I had bought, all the ones that I had tested. And then it was just a matter of time of like, okay, cool. This is ready. Let me file a patent, start telling people about it. And I filed my patent in February of uh, 22. So earlier this year, I filed the patent for it. Um, and I still need to do a follow-on patent for it by February 23 to secure the patent. So like that's how much time has like passed when this, this product was ready almost a year ago. But it was just getting all the pieces put in place to actually be able to sell it. And then finally, when we were here and settled... I was like, we can do this now. Well, enlighten us about this product that stokes you up so much, Let's man. Like, go. I feel it. Let's go. Tell me about it. Yeah. So basically, like I mentioned, like a couple of years ago, sit on the couch watching Masterclass and just like, you know, Sarah turns to me, what would you make? And I told her, you know, I want to make a parchment paper replacement. So in general, in bread making and pizza making, the use of parchment paper and plastic wrap just kills me. Like they're not tools that are needed. Every time I watch a video on YouTube and someone does like a hotel wrap on a pan or like a, some dough and they use like 40 feet of plastic wrap, I'm like, dude, just put it in a bowl and cover it or put a wet towel over it. You don't need to use all that sheet plastic, right? So I'm working on something for that too. But the one I wanted to tackle first was, was parchment paper. Parchment paper is not cheap. Like the good stuff is not cheap to get good quality paper. That's coated in like a high quality food safe silicone. 
is expensive. And what's the what's the good stuff brand? Like, is that Reynolds or is there is that the cheap stuff? No, no, no. If it's a name brand, it's usually better. If it's if okay. it's like a you know like a, like a you can tell by the prices. You know, if you're paying okay. ninety eight cents for a huge roll of parchment paper, that's just probably going to stick to the bottom of your your you know, uh, dough, or it's going to burn or whatever. If you're paying a little okay. bit of money, it's got a thicker coat of silicone on it because that's all parchment paper is. It's paper and then silicone. And so I said, Hey, what if I make something that's not paper, but still is silicone that could last forever. So that's when I went down this path of like, what would that look like to make something that's silicone and what everyone has, I'm sure I can find it around here. Like Silpat's got really popular with, with like fine dining and stuff that the nonstick solid silicone mats. And you can find those everywhere now. They come in like, there's ones that are like cookie sheets that have little like circles, you know, like you can find those everywhere. So I started with those, started cutting them. What does the shape need to be? What does this need to be to like fit in a Dutch oven, to fit in a challenger, to fit in a combo cooker? Cause I want to make bread on it. And then I found perforated silicone. So you can see right oh, through that. That is cool. And so this is a perforated. Why is that a benefit? Yeah. So, so. It, this was like night and day. So the cool thing that happened was while I was working with this, the thing that was in the back of my head was like, it just has to be better than paper. So if I get something better than paper, this will be better. And the solid silicone stuff was better than parchment paper because I wasn't throwing it away. It wasn't wasteful. When I started using this, I was like, hold on. This is actually better. Like this was baking better bread, the whole bake better bread thing. It's on the back of your shirt. It's on the back of my hoodie. That's on, you know, every... There it is. That's on every, you know, bread mat package, you know, break better bread, stop wasting paper. Stop wasting paper was actually the main tagline. And then all of a sudden I was like, my bread's actually coming out better. I'm getting better oven springs. I'm not burning the bottoms. Uh, the, um, it's not sticking. Like if you've ever baked a loaf of bread and had to pull parchment paper off the bottom of your loaf and it's like stuck in like the little nooks and crannies and you're in there with like tweezers because you're trying to sell a loaf of bread and it's got like a little parchment paper frill you know sticking out the side and you're all embarrassed like that doesn't happen with this so so this the perforations make all the difference like the the way heat transfers through the perforations is better it's it cools super fast because of the perforation. So literally right out of the oven, I use gloves to get it out because my oven's hot, but then I take my gloves off and I can, I can pull this off of the bread and it doesn't like it slides right off. I use them to cover, um, my like focaccias or my tin loaves. And everyone's had a towel stick to the top of their pan pizza or like stick to the top of their dough and they go to pull it off. And it's like, dig it. And you're like trying to pull off the little strands of dough from the wet towel. I cover everything in these now. And it doesn't stick. It just pulls right off of the dough. So all of a sudden I was like, oh, snap. Like not only am I not wasting paper anymore, I actually am literally baking better bread with this wow. little tool. So I got super stoked. I went down a really weird rabbit hole of like trying to make the perfect cutout. And that's in the patent. And I'm like working through that. But anyway, I won't get into that. But um, basically the what ended up happening was like all my beta testers were like, this is awesome. Please send me more of them. When are you going to send them? And none of them even saw this like other feature that I put in. And I had to have the very real conversation with myself of like, Mike, you did it. You went down the feature uh, creep path. You know what this looks like in engineering. 
you teach people to not go down this path. You teach people to listen to your beta testers and get the feedback. And if a single tester doesn't pick up on the really cool engineering feature you put in, it's not a feature. And I was like, I'm having this like, I'm like, but I know it's better. And I'm like seeing myself having a conversation maybe with younger me or like with just other engineers I've worked with that I've like mentored. And I'm like, dude, they don't see it. And they're like, but it's better. I'm like, I agree with you, but it's also more expensive to make and it raises other risks and none, not a single one of your beta testers pointed it out. So anyway, that was a hard self conversation I had, but what, yeah. what was the feature? I, I won't get into it, but basically it was around, it was around being able to stabilize the bread. So like I was working with these, I really wanted people to be able to bake up to a thousand gram loaf. I don't know if you remember this, but like a while ago, I put out the series of questions through my Instagram stories and linked them to um, Google uh, Google Sheets like forms. And I had people tell me like, what is the most common size loaf you make? What shape do you make? What bread pan do you use? And like all of that was data for development for this. So like this is cut to fit the most popular uh, baking vessels. I've got a ton of them down here. Um, it fits all of them. So whether you're using, you know, large Dutch ovens or you're using a challenger or you're using combo cookers, the size, there's a really common diameter size in all of those. That's this diameter. The handle length is all about being able to accommodate all those different sizes. Uh, and that, and, and the size of it needed to handle a thousand gram loaf. I got a lot of people middle of the row is like 875 grams. That's what I'm baking now. I really like that size, but I had a lot of people that bake thousand gram loaves. And so I was like, cool, this needs to fit a thousand gram loaf. And I was really determined to be, so you could hold it straight and then see this little like flap on the side, like that wouldn't happen. So I spent all this time like developing this really cool little feature so that that stayed flat when you had a thousand gram loaf. The problem was everybody just did this and it didn't uh, matter. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, yeah, but when you do that, you might have a slight... I, no, there's no reason. I just overlooked it and I felt really silly. And so that feature has gone. It was more expensive. It was going to make the product more expensive and nobody even recognized it. So got to cut it. I'm curious to know because I think beta testing is important. Yeah. Um, how did you learn how to do that and what consists of an, of an effective beta test? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of beta testing and I got really, I worked for a terrible and great company um, that was a startup that you know, it was great because it taught me a ton. I learned more in the time that I was there than the previous five years in my career working at a defense contractor. And I worked in um, consumer products and we just moved so fast. And if you weren't on top of it and moving quickly, you were out. And it, the, it was, it was a great company for those reasons. In the end, it turned out to be a really terrible company and they did some shady stuff. But for those reasons, it was really great. And one of the things I learned there was the value of beta testing. The problem was we didn't have a really good beta test program put in place. We knew that we needed feedback from people, real customers, but we didn't have the mechanisms to do that. So I was tasked with coming up with the mechanisms of writing a good beta test. And I started learning really early of like how to prime people, how to ask a question. So you're not priming them, you know, instead of giving, how, how do you ask questions to get quantitative feedback instead of qualitative feedback? How do you actually analyze those 
when you have 100 beta testers, how do you manage 100 beta testers and make sure that they're always engaged and active? When can you expect feedback from them? How long of a beta test do you need? When in the production path do you send them product? Um, so all of this stuff was like brand new to me, but I had to learn it really quickly. And then those lessons like carried on in the other companies that I worked for. So I was a big fan of the beta test program that we put in place while I was at Uni. Um, we launched that while I was there. And so, you know, there's, I know, I know I'm going to get a question from this saying, how do I join the beta testers? <laughs> it's just no. And if you're a beta tester is listening to this, you probably listened to the show and you're, you know, that you were a beta tester. Um, and you'll know there's no like way to get chosen. Um, I would just choose people and our team would choose people uh, that we knew would give good feedback. And usually if they were a good beta tester, we'd reuse them for other products. So, you know, a good beta tester um, gives timely feedback, gives good feedback, is actually willing to test the product. You get a lot of people who say like, I'll test, you send them a product and you hear nothing back because uh, they just wanted the free product. So, you know, you have to find the good people. If you want to continue being a beta tester, do a good job and you'll keep getting follow on work. So we had a good group of maybe, I don't remember what the number was, but like solid, solid beta testers that uh, we would send new product to, you know, well before it's long to get their good, honest feedback. And we'd use that feedback to make improvements to the product. Like there's noticeable improvements to both Crew 12 and Crew 16 um, and Coda 16 that came from good beta test feedback that as an engineer and as a designer who spent the last year, two, three years working on a product, you're too close to it to see right, what's right in front of you. And a customer who has no experience with something will say, why didn't that work? And you go, miss that. Like, and, and a lot of times it's so obvious, um, but you just miss stuff because you're so close to it. So having That's alpha testing, having beta testing is really important um, when you're doing product development. So I made sure to get these out. You know, my beta testers got these a year ago. Um, and you know, how many people did you send it to? I want to say I did maybe 15 to 20, you know, I got good feedback from maybe half, um, yeah. I mean, I wish I would have been able to do a larger one, but I also knew, you know, time and money constraints, you know, I was coming out of pocket for everything and, um, and it was a simple product. So I knew I didn't get a ton of people, but the beta test feedback was great. I mean, it was the reason why we got rid of the feature and it was the reason um, why we chose the material we did and the handle length we did, like all the stuff was really good. And it was, it's, I think when you're doing a beta test, whether you're doing it for a physical product or for food or whatever you're doing, uh, you have to learn how to write and ask the right questions. So people just aren't like telling you what you want to hear. They're actually giving you good, honest feedback um, and empowering them and letting them know when you've changed something based on that feedback saying like, you told us this wasn't a good feature or you didn't recognize feature. We removed it or we made it better because of your feedback. Thank you. Um, that was really cool too, because then they felt like really involved in the process. So um, yeah, no, there's been a, I had a, quite a few good beta testers on the, on the bread map um, who I need to, um, think when everything kind of calms down, I got some stuff planned for them, but, uh, yeah, no, it's been, it was a really cool process to be able to do it for me because I've always done it for like other companies. So it was cool to beta test my own product and be okay with the feedback that I was going to get. Cause I think some people can be a little too fragile and I felt myself getting combative a couple times when someone would ask about like handle length and I had to be like, they don't know all the work I did. They're one person. But literally I'd get one person going, the handles need to be longer and like being really upset about it. And then someone being else like the handles are way too long. <laughs> it's like, cool. I think I, I think I'm good then. I think I, I think I've got the perfect handle length. <laughs> 
So are beta testers in your case, in this situation for the bread mat, were they anonymous at all? I mean, how do you, like if, if you were to send something to me, yeah, right. And I'm not saying that I would sugarcoat it, but like, I imagine if you were to send something to a friend, you may, they may not want to hurt your feelings or whatever. How do you encourage that sort of conversation that, and say, Hey, I'm open to super constructive feedback. Like you're not going to hurt my feelings. I think just being honest about that, like making sure that you guys are both on the same page of why you're asking them to do it. It's an important job you're asking them to do. And it is a job and you're going to ask them to test it. And, you know, for me, I wasn't paying them to do it. A lot of beta testers don't get paid. They get product. And sometimes they don't even get to keep the product. Like in a good beta test agreement, you'll have one of the last lines that says, if at any time I ask for this back, you got to send it back to me. And that's what you're agreeing to. So, because sometimes, you know, early stage development on hard or hardware products, it might be dangerous. Like, you know what I mean? So like, yeah. you know, you got to have that in there. Luckily I wasn't dealing with a dangerous product. This is very simple. You're not going to hurt yourself on it. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's important to, to let people know that their feedback is crucial to the development of this product. And you know, the friends that you have that don't pull punches and you know, the ones that, you know, inflate your ego. And so make sure you balance those. Don't just give them to the ones that are going to throw you softballs. There's a, um, a book called the mom test. That's all about like customer development and like asking good questions in product mm -hmm. development. And it's based on a lot of work that was done. Um, oh, I'm forgetting his name, but there's a really good, um, there's like the startup owner's manual. And then I want to say it's like seven steps to epiphany anyway, about customer development. And so it's a lot of the lessons learned from there, but it's like, you know, don't, don't ask like for this, you know, a terrible question would have been like, would you be interested in something that you know, keeps you from using parchment paper? That's perfectly cut. And it's like, yeah, okay. That's a terrible question. Like a better question is like, Hey, have you bought any special specialty baking products recently? What have you purchased? Like, are they actually a customer? Cause someone who has purchased a specialty pan for baking bread or somebody who sits there and cuts out this shape in parchment paper, they're probably a, a, a potential customer. So asking, then being able to ask them follow-up questions is really important. Asking just somebody if they're interested in a free product that, you know, will keep them from spending even more money on, on parchment paper is not a good question. So like learning those lessons, knowing when to, and this is, these are questions and techniques that work for physical goods, digital goods. They work for podcasts. They work for whatever product you're trying to sell. Um, trying to get that feedback is important. Uh, and knowing how to ask the right questions to get that feedback for you. If you're looking for a good feedback from somebody, say, like, Hey, when's the last time you watched the show or listen to the show, you know, like start with that. And then you, did you know, like, not like, Hey, do you ever listen? Yeah. Cause you, if you ask your mom, Hey, do you ever listen? I bet your mom goes, I, I do. My of course. All the time. Every week, honey. <laughs> when's the last time is you a better, listened? This is a better question. Is a better question. Like, do you listen to podcasts or is that too, um, not specific enough? Or not too, not related enough to the, the, the feedback I'm soliciting. No, I think that's great. What kind of podcast do you listen to? Mm. You know? Okay. And you could do that in a coffee shop. Like that's one of the cool things about the, like the bread mat. I never did the coffee shop approach, but I use Instagram, you know, as my mm -hmm. digital coffee shop, if you will, of approaching people who I knew baked. So we're already in that funnel and approach them with like, Hey, what are the baking vessels that you use? What are the specialty baking products that you use? What do you put under your bread when you bake? You know? And so, and, and those in 
discoveries, you know, it's not just this that I'm coming out with, you know, there's multiple products now in the pipeline from the discoveries of the development of this to now where I'm going to start selling proofing baskets and I'm going to start, you know, we talked about pH meters and is there, you know, is there a market there? And so understanding like, Hey, what are all these little products that could come out where we're not well served specifically in the U S with proofing baskets? You know, what are the, what do these people want? And can I prove there's enough of a market because they're already spending money on these other specialty baking goods? That's super interesting. I'm trying to think like what to ask you next about like how you decide there's a big enough market. Yeah, there's a huge market for for home bakers and the the next thing, the next big thing out of Rosehill is going to be a course specifically around like one niche of home bakers. Um, and the course is going to be about monetizing your home baking. So um, there's a lot of stuff that goes into it, but basically it's Hey, do you want to make an extra 500 bucks a month? Can you bake one day a week? I'm going to give you all the tools that you need to be able to do that. And so, um, the name of the program is called sourdough side hustle, and it's in like a big planning stage right now. Um, but we've got all the coursework planned out. I just need to get in the studio and actually shoot it. Um, but all the coursework, all the videos and how to do it the right way. Like how do you get your cottage food license? How do you go about finding out how to get a cottage food license. What is that? What are your limits on that? How do you price your bread? So there's like a bunch of stuff going into that, which again, came out of the research from this. Um, just finding people, you know, you talked about, is there a big enough market for it? The sourdough side hustle came out of a DM that I got from someone who said, Hey, I live in Sweden. Just wanted to let you know, I started following you a couple years ago and now I'm the micro baker in my town and I supply all of the local um, restaurants with bread. And I was wow. like, that's so freaking cool. And then I remembered this a girl bred by Chelsea B in Iowa. And I was like, I'm pretty sure she has a bakery now. And she started with my focaccia recipe. I DM'd her, Hey, did you, I'm pretty sure you started selling my focaccia recipe and now you have a bakery. Is that true? Yeah. Cool. Started looking back at her stuff. Same thing. Started on my recipes, started growing, did a cottage food business called up a buddy of mine in Southern California. Chanel, you were doing cottage food, right? Yeah. Cool. How much were you selling your loaves for? Like what is, and all of a sudden I was like, did you pay for any services? Like, did you buy a course or like, did you buy a whatever? She's like, no, but like I had to figure all this stuff out myself. Like I would have loved to pay you to learn to do this, which is also not a great question. She's also a friend. So take that with a grain of salt. But she was the one, and through these conversations of planning this idea of sourdough side hustle, I started getting on Instagram, finding cottage home food bakers. I've been interviewing them. I've done a series of interviews with them, figure out how much do you charge for your bread? When did you start doing um, cottage food? How did you figure all this out? What would be helpful as a cottage food baker? What would you wish you would have known in the beginning? And building out this course, and every single one of them at the end is like super stoked for the course because part of it is going to be a community aspect of it where course members will be able to have conversations about their regions and how much they're spending on ingredients, where they're sourcing flour, where they're, um, you know, how much they're charging for their baked goods. So, you know, you ask about like, how do you find market size? You have to be, for me, it was easy because I was, I was in the, the community and I was, and I was able to pull strings of like remembering certain things. And then all of a sudden, when I started asking these random people who had no idea who I was and they were agreeing that, they would pay the amount of money that I was saying that the course would cost. 
And they were saying, I wish I would have had that. Or I wish I still don't have that because I don't know how to properly do it. Or man, that lesson took me three weeks to learn. You know how much bread I wasted? Cause I had to figure out, you know, how to proof that properly or whatever. I was like, okay, there's a market here for this. Even if I've only interviewed 12 people, every single one of them has said that they, you know, wish they had had this. So for me, it's all about that little, that research. I, that was a beautiful answer. How do you, have you yourself sold bread through a cottage food license? Yeah. You have. Okay. And that's gotcha. where I was like, okay, I, cause I, my course idea was about pizza. I, I was planning yeah. out this course and every time I got into the coursework, I was like, I don't feel like I'm good enough as a pizza maker yeah. to teach a pizza masterclass. I feel like there's five people on the planet who might be able to do this. And I'm not one of those people who can confidently say I'm a pizza master and I'm going to teach you a pizza masterclass. I even hate the term masterclass because I'm not. And so every, but I was like, this is, I know people will buy this course because they want it so bad, but I just don't feel like I'm the person to do it. And as soon as I started thinking about the sourdough side hustle, I was like, got jazzed and I was like making spreadsheets and calling people and like writing out all these ideas. And just like every morning I was like, I would wake up with another idea and I'm just like typing out a note on my phone about the things that I would teach in sourdough side hustle. And I was like super stoked about it. And that was like, okay, I need to listen to that. Cause I didn't want to make the pizza course, even though it would make money, but I do want to make this. And I think people resonate with it more. And so basically, um, what it came down to was that drive that I was like, I'm super, super stoked to make this course. This is the next thing I'm going to pursue. The thing that got me excited about it was the fact I was like, I can confidently speak on this. I didn't feel confident about the pizza thing. This I did. I got a cottage food license. I went down to the health department. I got my um, card. I was confused, not knowing what to do and had to figure out all these lessons. I know I can teach this because I've done it. I've created an audience on Instagram. I've marketed that audience with bread. I've come up with creative ideas on how to sell that bread. I've priced that bread. I've come up with spreadsheets on how to understand how do you do, you know, uh, ingredient cost versus your target profit. How much do you, can you market your bread for? Will it sell? How to do a price strategy? How much can you take on? How much can your oven handle? Do you need to get a second fridge? I've had all those conversations. I've done all that work. So I was like, I can do this. I can teach this to people. So I got super stoked. Amazing. I think you have helped me and listeners on here really figure out like what business do I want to start? How do I figure that out? How do I figure out the product? And it's about finding what jazzes you up. How do I figure out if the product's good? It's about beta testing. It's about having these one-on-one -on -one conversations and it's about figuring out what you're capable of. Cause I totally agree. And that's why I feel like I have a hard time talking about or giving people advice on pizzerias and like people ask me like, Oh, what about this? And I, I always feel like I have to preface it with, well, this is what's been discussed on the podcast. Like I myself have never started a pizzeria. I've worked in one. I've been in plenty. I've been in plenty of kitchens. I've talked to so many people who own one. This was their advice. And so I feel like it would be wrong almost for me to say, here's my, my pizza program when I've never even done it. So I, I commend you for doing something that you've done and not, and, and, and really listening to that inner self-talk. Like I, I can't stand behind a, a pizza program when I myself, uh, 
think that other people could do it a little bit better. Mm. There's, there's a good balance there. Like, you know, in the, the course for the pizza class, I was like, I cannot confidently teach a mastering pizza course. I can confidently teach a mastering uni course. And so that's something that's in the pipeline for Rose Hill too. Cause like, I know those ovens, um, maybe not better than anybody at this point. Cause there's been a couple people that have, you know, that have been there since that, since I've left, but, um, at least the ones that I worked on, I know the ins and outs of those things like nobody. And I can confidently teach you how to make every style of pizza that you want to make under the sun on code 12, code 16, crew 12, crew 16. And, uh, I almost slipped up there and said something I shouldn't have. So I won't say anything else. But, uh, <laughs> oh, let me turn off the recording real quick. Just uh, stay tuned, y'all. By the way, this episode is sponsored by Uni. Shout out Uni. Check them out. Use the, use the link in the show notes. Stay tuned. <laughs> Oh my gosh. That's oh funny. man. No, but, but like, so, you know, there's, there's some stuff that you need to dig out of there. Like there's value in you being that connector. Like instead of you saying like, I don't know how to do it, but I could tell you who to, to, to ask instead of seeing that as a negative thing of like, I don't know how to do it. Flip that and say, I do know how to ask. How do you make that a product? You being the connector and you having all the experience of talking to all these people and having all their contact information. How do you put two people in the same room together? That is a, powerful product as well. So like learning how to, you know, do that through your podcast is an awesome thing. Okay. If anyone here has an idea, um, if you have an idea, Mike, let me know. I am searching. I can be your pizza matchmaker. I'll do that for you. Let me know how much you want to pay. Let me know who you want to meet. I'll make it happen. Gotcha. That's a great product. <laughs> if I come to you and be like, I really want to meet Tony Gimignani and you know, I want him to give me uh, some, some advice or whatever. Like, I don't know how to find him. Well, I kind of do. He's, he, Paisano's was in Castro Valley and my wife's family's from Castro Valley. So they like know him. So maybe uh, Tony Gimignani is not the right person, but no, no, like, I, I totally you know what I mean you. though? Like there's potentially something there for both people and there's always a product and everything. Like you just have to be creative enough to kind of see a solution. But like, if there's a market and there's a community of people, the more niche it is, the more you can charge for it. Like there's products and everything. So even you started a successful podcast from nothing. Like you could teach people how to do that. Like there's, there's products in there. Watch the space guys. Go. Watch the space. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of products, we have a little bit of time yeah. left. I want to ask, uh, how are your subscriptions doing? Cause I know you yeah. turned them on and yeah. you were like the first person to do it. And like having multiple streams of income always excites me. You're never going to go broke when you kind of have that mentality. Um, is it profitable? What's going on with that? Yeah, the the subscriptions are really interesting. So I, we were talking earlier before we came on camera about like taking it really slow with the bread man, like doing the soft launch and stuff and like, you know, doing everything in like bite-sized chunks, mostly because I don't, I never want to disappoint people. So I want to make sure that I can exceed expectations. So setting the bar low is important for me so that I can, you know, go above and beyond for them. So it was the same thing with subscriptions. Like I knew that people were going to do it just because they want to support me. And there are a few people in the subscriptions that are so active. Um, they're, I, I, won't, I feel weird about saying people's names and stuff, but like they're, they know who they are. Like if they listen to this and they probably, a couple of them I know do, you know who you are. We damn all the time. <laughs> like, so there's people that they did it 
if I never did anything, they just want to support me because they like what I'm doing. That was a hard concept for me to wrap my my mind around, uh, but I keep sure. getting reminded by them and by my business partner that like people just want to support you and they want to help you. So when you launch your subscription, you're given options of how much you want to charge. Instagram tells you, hey, $5 is the most popular, but here are some other options. I chose three because I didn't want to do what everyone else was doing at the five or the 10 or the $20 mark because I wanted to make sure that that I am a little transactional in that. Like I wanted to make sure that I was providing $3 worth of value. And I felt like a tip a month was probably worth three bucks. So I decided that that's kind of the mentality I was going to have. I kind of worked my way into this cool thing where I've, I haven't done for the last two weeks because the bread map, but I, I was on a really good streak of weekly lives every Wednesday at two o'clock. I was in the studio. We hit a concept. They've been really fun. If you're a subscriber, you're the only people that get access to those replays. So that was a cool way to build value for them because they, those replays, like almost every one of my subscribers goes and watch those live replays, which I think that's a cool mark. That's of, deep. Like that's dope. Yeah. So super cool there. I then mostly I just like, I play around with them more like in my stories on Rose Hill. I'm very like, matter of fact, I don't do a lot of talking to the camera. I do a lot of like typing. Uh, what I decided to do with my subscribers was to do a lot more of like face to face stuff. And like, I do audio replies to them in my DMS. Um, like I showed when I was building the studio, I did a lot of like behind the scenes in the studio. Um, and it was more about just like giving them the option to see me in a little bit different way, um, which they've resonated with too. So I've talked to a couple people who've approached me and say, Hey, would you recommend subscriptions? It's not paying for a ton of stuff, you know, like it's not life changing. No, it's not life changing money, but I think it's cool. There's enough people that want to give me that money every month where I tell them, like I bought some monitors for my cameras and I was like, Hey, I bought this this month because of you guys. So thank you for that. That's awesome. Whenever I do a sale or anything, I tell them first and I say, Hey, like for the bread map, all my subscribers got free shipping on the bread mat. Um, when I came out with the shirts, all of them got um, discounts on the shirts. Whenever I do an announcement, they know first, and then I send like an email out, or then I tell like other people. Um, but so I think the status of them having that purple crown, and like you know them coming up in lives or in chats, like I pin all their comments and stuff. Like they just know they're a little more special without a purple crown, and I try to make sure they feel that being special. So is it life changing money? It hasn't been for me. For some people, it might be. I set the bar low on purpose so I could, you know, go above and beyond. And I want to make sure that they're getting value out of it, even if they don't want any, um, which a lot of them have told me they don't care. They just want to support me. Um, I still try to make sure that they get that value, whether it's in subscriber-only stories or reels or the live replays or whatever it is. I think if anything, it the what seems like is worth it is having that ability to connect more deeply with the people who already support you, um, to be able to see their IG handle in a sea of comments mm -hmm. and to be able to respond to them and talk to them and continue nurturing that relationship seems like it's more about that's more valuable than the actual monetary value that's coming in. Totally. Especially if like I get cool. flooded with DMS for some reason, you know, I post something, get a bunch of stuff like they come right to the top and I'm like, cool, I'm going to, mm. you know, I'm going to go take, Sick. make sure they get their question answered first, you know? Cool. Yeah. Before we ask those final two questions, yeah. is there anything else about the bread mat that you wanted to say? No, I just think, I mean, like I said, like it just so happened that this time 
lined up with me launching this. Like I, I felt a little Dude. weird. I felt like I was on, like there's been a couple podcasts. I won't media name tour. names, but there's been a couple uh, podcasts that have just turned into media tours and I have stopped listening to those podcasts. So uh, that is not what this is. We do not have an agreement oh no. on a media tour. It just happened to come out. I suggest, I think, I think I suggested Friday. I had no idea you were launching this. Yeah, so it just worked it out. It just worked out. It just worked out. Yeah. Um, no, I'm stoked about it. I think the biggest, the coolest thing about this is I had an idea. And I thought it would be cool. I'm a home baker. I've been using it for a year and a half. It works. And it, I'm excited for other people for it to work for them too. Like it solved my problem in the, you know, invention community. I scratched my own inch. You know, that's the entrepreneurial, you know, product yeah. development. I scratched my own itch and I made the product that worked for me. And I was, I'm super stoked to find out that my beta testers loved it. They wanted to tell people about it. The influencers have been working with it. They love it. They want to tell people about it. And hopefully, you know, we'll be able to get people that are baking at home and they're tired of wasting parchment paper. They've got a good solution now that's not just a paper replacement like the other solutions are, but actually something that helps you bake better bread. I love it. Mike, what is one mistake in pizza, business, or life that people should avoid? Um, I think just going back on our thing of like when you're feeling down one day like a big thing that i had to remind myself is it's just today mm. remind myself that yep. i've had motivation hit before i felt excited yeah. before i've been stoked to get up and work before for whatever reason today i don't and being able to say that's okay i need a break and not feeling like even the words coming out of my mouth, I need a break. It's like a hard thing for me to say. <laughs> I really have a hard word with the word deserve. We can do a whole podcast. <laughs> on, you can be my therapist on like me saying that I deserve things. Cause I, like I say that I deserve nothing, say. you know? know? So, but I like know. that day, you just need to remind yourself today for some reason, something's up. Think about that. Yeah. Know that something's up. You're not going to be as productive today, but that tomorrow or in two days or in three days, it's going to hit again and you're going to be okay. That's the biggest, I think, mistake people make is getting in that rut, trying to push through it and getting to burn out and then realizing, you know, giving up on a passion they have because they're like, well, that I, I burnt out last time I did that. It's like, you can do things that you love even on bad days. You can take a break and get back to what you love the next day. So yeah, don't make that mistake. I made that mistake for way too long. Yeah. We'll probably keep making that mistake, but just remember yeah, sure. Mike's advice. <laughs> keep reminding yourself i do it too i do it all the time yeah all right what do you want to leave the audience with Mike? oh man good question uh i think just a thank you to you man like i think this is such a cool vehicle that you've created like i know my first time that i was on the show i was like super nervous and like but you're such a good interviewer like and you've changed so much as the show's developed like you clearly care about it your quality's gone up the editing's gone up you, the the pace at which you ask questions like you've clearly taken people's feedback um and yeah it just it, it's a really the way you interview is really good so just thank you man like as you know leaving something with the audience is like go leave a five star review for your boy Idris. Uh, let him get yeah, amplified a little bit in that, in that, uh, in that Apple podcast app, you know, and like, let's get you some more of those. I appreciate you putting on Stitcher for me. I think I'm your only listener on Stitcher. 
So I appreciate you. I got to get on the uh, Apple podcast, but um, no. Yeah. Leave honestly. me a review on Stitcher. Yeah. I don't even know how it works. <laughs> I'm about to. I'm going to leave a review on Stitcher. You're going to have one review and it's going to be five stars for Mike. I just did the best interview with Idrif. He's the best. Um, no, but something to leave the audience with, like support people that you like what they're doing. Like it's, it's pretty much that simple. Like if you think someone's doing something cool, support them because cha- it could be that without your support, not just your moral support, but your actual financial support, if you can, like without that, they might not be able to continue doing cool stuff. And that sucks. And there's a, you know, I've been wanting to rebrand imposter, imposter syndrome with uh, millennial trying to do something cool syndrome. And we all have it of like, we're trying something new. We're not the best at it. We have the entire world to compare ourselves against now. And so we say like, I'm not the best. I can't do this. I can't do it. Where in old days, in your little community, you were probably the best in your community. That would have been enough. Stop trying to compare yourself to the world. Um, and if someone's doing something cool, support them. And Idrif is doing something cool. So we should um, show them support with, you know, however we can do that. So, yeah, man, there you All go. Right. That's what I leave the audience with. Cool. Well, can I leave something with the audience today, too? <laughs> it's your show, bro. <laughs> <laughs> um, stay tuned for the outro. Uh, we're going to figure out a way to give away some bread nuts to folks. Oh, dope. All right. That's sick. All right. Cool. Mike, I love you, man. Thank you for always being on the show. Thank you for dropping knowledge. Absolutely. I appreciate you making time for this. I know you got a busy life right now. And so I appreciate you making time. Have, uh, have some fun with the girls. And uh, I'll catch you, Thank you on the flippity flop. Thank you for listening to the show. Sorry, this isn't my usual outro. I am doing it on a camera, so excuse the audio. But I wanted to get you all a piece of information that's going to help you get the bread net. So for those first 10 people who leave a rating on Apple Podcasts, if you don't have an Apple phone, I'm so sorry. Maybe you can get a friend or a significant other to leave a review, five stars. Go ahead and take a screenshot of your review send it over to me and I'll get you a bread mat from Mike Veona. Send me your send me your review first. Once I've confirmed you're the first 10 people, I'll go ahead and ask you for your address. Like I don't want your information unless we can reserve you a bread mat, all right? These are completely free. Mike's gonna cover the shipping. I'll cover the bread mat. We're doing the one packs so that we can get it to as many people as possible so you can try out his product. But yes, 10 bread mats to the first 10 people who send me their Apple podcast review. And if you've already reviewed the show, yo, you don't got to do another one. I appreciate you for already sending that out. Just screenshot it to me and send it over. Send it to my Instagram so you can claim yours today. If you're listening to this on the day that it's released, good chance that you got one. And even if it's not the day that you release, heck, you'd be surprised how many people actually take the time to leave a review. There's like thousands and thousands of people who have listened to the show and only so many people have left a review so if you haven't done one already and you're listening to this podcast go ahead and leave it let's get you over let's get you a bread mat all right so thank you for listening to the show thank you to mike for being here you you're always dropping knowledge moms dude i love you i love you all till next time peace